your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Junior lefty kicks, deals a pitch. Kate Povich has fan 10 and a new career high outing. He's made it through seven shutout here in the home opener. Sports Nightly is presented by the NDOT Highway Safety Office, who reminds you to buckle up and put the phone down. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Here we are, Wednesday night, Sports Nightly Hump Day, right? End of March, too, the last day of this month. No fooling. Oh, how much fun are people going to have that tomorrow? What do you got planned for that, Ben? You got something big up your sleeve for tomorrow? Going to try to trick people? I'm never that crafty or creative. So <laughs> I'll settle for uh, waking up my alarm for, to my alarm to a trip to Illinois. How about that? There you go. There you go. Um, hey, someday the Big Ten's going to win a national championship in basketball. April Fools. That ain't going to happen. Um, let's start there. Michigan. Turned into bricklayers at the end of that game last night. My goodness, they couldn't make a shot in the last couple of minutes, and they're the last Big Ten team to be bounced. Um, I was on a, a, a non-affiliate out-of-state station today on their show, and they were going, well, what do you make of the Big Ten's performance? I go, it was lousy. It was lousy. I mean, you had one Big Ten team make the second weekend, and Michigan, a number one seed, doesn't can't beat an 11 seed. Uh, to get to the Final Four. And the Big Ten's drought without, without a national title now is heading into its third decade. You have to go back to the Mateen Cleves, Michigan State Spartans, the last Big Ten team to win an NCAA tournament title. That's kind of embarrassing to me for a league that prides itself as a basketball league, right? Or am I, over, am I overdoing this for the league's implosion in the last two weeks? I don't. Yeah, I don't know that I would have set the – the line at, you know, an acceptable tournament at national championship or bust. However, I I would have said, you know, if you don't have at least at the very minimum one, probably two final four teams based on the reputation of your league coming into the tournament, then I would have had a big issue with it. And that's exactly what's happened. Um, You know, it started out with the Ohio State disaster, losing to Oral Roberts, Um, You know, Purdue not playing well in their opening round. And it just kind of went on from there. You know, Illinois getting bounced in the second round and just getting completely dominated, to be honest, in their matchup. That's where the disappointment came in. And, you know, I think a lot of people have a fair gripe with, you know, the reputation, quote-unquote reputation of the Big Ten if, uh, you know, Things played out the way they did, and they did. So now now the entire conference is going to be sitting and watching the last four teams like everybody else. Michigan, you know, I kind of gave up on them pre-tournament, to be honest with you. When they when Livers gets hurt and you knew he was done, I thought, I thought they probably – I thought they would be one of those early exits, like a Purdue or like even an Illinois who got beat by Loyola in that second round. And so they may be, in some ways, overachieved. But still, you get to this stage, and they were playing really well. And they really should have made a shot late to win it. I, 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 I didn't like some – man, Wagner was terrible. Man, he was awful last night. Couldn't make a shot. Uh, even his kind of typical drive to the bucket, which he's almost unstoppable, he couldn't make that. I thought Dickerson 
over. I thought they, I thought they went to him too much. I thought he got selfish at times. Instead of kicking it out, he tried to bull his way through three different guys. I just thought it was a really poor, ex, poorly executed game by Michigan, and that was certainly there for the taking. You know, UCLA's playing well. That, that, that they're fine, but they should not be able to beat Michigan, and Michigan should have won that game and got themselves to the Final Four. But all the all the chest thumping that was going on around the league for the last couple of months. It's all for naught now because it, your reputation, right or wrong, is built in what you do in this tournament, and it was it was a disaster for the Big Ten Conference. Now, were there absolutely there was good basketball played in this league, and I think at times some of these teams were really really good throughout the year, but man, it was just it, it, it's a it's a bad postseason. You can't spin it any other way for the conference, and. What kind of gives me hope for the Huskers is I think a lot of these teams are going to take a little step back next year, and I think that's good for Nebraska. I think Nebraska can can leapfrog a handful of teams as we look into twenty twenty one slash twenty two for for hoop for Husker hoops. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's probably still too early to tell. I think there are way too many days of the transfer portal ahead to know what teams are going to have next season. But you know, I would equate it to college football where the self-proclaimed best league in college football is the SEC. They've got an alpha, an Alabama, to kind of carry that reputation at the end of the season. And you have teams like, you know, Georgia and LSU the other year, too, that, you know, they kind of put their money where their mouth is when it's time. And, And the Big Ten never had that alpha. They don't have that team that they can fall back on to kind of carry the torch for the league. It kind of seems to be somebody new every year. In this case, it was Illinois uh, and Michigan, I suppose. But I, I felt like, you know, that that's what really determines it for me. And it's really the same in college baseball, too, with the SEC. You know, the Vanderbilts and the Arkansas of the world, the Floridas of the world, they, they, can, they can put those labels on their conference because when it comes time to perform at the end – there's always that one, in college baseball's case, two or three teams that, that show up every year and and hoist that trophy at the end. So that's the Big Ten's next step. They can't proclaim anything if they're not raising trophies. And, you know, say what you will about the SEC, you know, getting to the national championship and winning the national championship is something that they do every single year. So I do think that there is there is some credence to – and, and let's be honest, it's annoying the the how, you know how how everybody kind of bows down to that league. But when it comes time to you know crown a champ, they're usually right in the thick of it. And so it's 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 becoming increasingly more difficult to debate that, especially when you you know throw blanket statements about your league that you know you're the best. And when it comes time to put your money where that your mouth is, so to speak, you fall short. There aren't a lot of people around the country that take you seriously. Yeah, you know, and hey, there is outstanding. Don't get me wrong; there is outstanding basketball being played in the Big Ten Conference. But man, two thousand Ben was a long time ago, and that's the last league national champion from this league. I mean that that is really that's ancient history. I mean, probably very few people playing in the tournament were alive the last time the Big Ten won one of these things. And then you go back and look at the the previous twenty years. Indiana won a couple titles. Michigan won a title with the Fab Five. Uh, Michigan State had a title in there. And uh, did Illinois win one? Uh, I can't remember if they won one in '89 or not. Or that, I know that they was a, it was an All Big Ten final. I think Michigan and Illinois played 
in a championship game. So, uh, but golly, 2000, last time this league won a, uh, a national championship. And it, you're going to have to wait another year now because uh, the Big Ten is out. you got your Final Four that is set. UCLA gets Gonzaga. Good luck, Bruins, because I just think Gonzaga is going to chew them up and spit them out in uh, Saturday's game. And then on the other side, I think you're going to have a really competitive game, Baylor against Houston. But the game that people have really wanted, Ben, for months might happen, might actually happen Monday night, and that's Baylor against Gonzaga. That was the game a lot of people going back to November really wanted to see. I think they were supposed to play. But Bader had to shut down for COVID, so we may actually get to see that matchup on Monday night. But Bader's got to beat Houston first, and that's not going to be easy. Cougars are a pretty good, pretty good basketball team. So disappointing for the Big Ten, really, for the last couple of weeks. And I fell for it. My bracket got blown up with all those upsets from Ohio State to Illinois to Purdue. I did not have Michigan reach in the Final Four, so they kind of did about what I thought they would do. But I certainly had Illinois getting themselves into the Final Four. It did not happen. All right, uh, Josh had this in the ticker at the top of the hour. It was day number two for Husker football spring practice. We finally get to hear – we did hear from some of the coaches afterwards. We're going to dive into a practice report here in just a little bit. There was news off the field after practice, Ben, and that's that Kurt Raftall has put his name into the transfer portal, the uh, fourth-year tight end in the program. Um, Has played quite a bit. Hasn't really caught a lot of passes. He's kind of been behind Austin Allen and Jack Stoll the last couple of years. And then Travis Vokalek transferred into the program two years ago, and he leaped Kurt on the depth chart. And now you've got some really good freshmen that are working their way into the depth chart, including Fedoni from Council Bluffs. I'm guessing that's probably what factored into Kurt's decision to leave the program. And we said this a few weeks ago when we we heard a, a about another guy entering the portal. This probably isn't done. You get through spring, and you'll have a, I think a couple more guys that decide that yeah, this isn't going to work for me, and they they move. Any any red flags to you on the raft all entering the portal? No, not necessarily. I think that you know, and we'll hear from the Husker coaches here in a little while. But that room is extremely deep, and our you know, as talented in in, in their particular set of skills that there probably is in the league, maybe even in the country. So I don't even think it's necessarily an indictment on Kurt Raftall as it is just the the quality of players around him and their skill set and how they help this team. So, no, if if you were to ask me to to rank, you know, the deepest rooms and you know, the likelihood of somebody to transfer. I probably would point to the tight end room probably first. And Kurt's name might have been one of the first ones that, that I would guess just because of where everybody else is. And, again, not an indictment on Kurt Raftall. He made some good plays this freshman year. I remember remembering a third down catch he had on, on Nebraska's sideline late in the game that was an unbelievable catch. And I think, you know, if he's if he's wanting to play – and I think this is going to be the case for every Nebraska tight end. If they're wanting to play – 80 90 percent of the snaps it's just not going to happen you know you're going to be splitting snaps quite a bit with with everybody that they have uh, you know especially the later in the year when you know guys like Fedoni and and Carney and maybe even an AJ Rollins you know they start to develop a little bit more and you get the four game rule you know there, there's just a lot of a lot of bodies that's a crowded it's a crowded spot to be yeah I, my, you know one thing I was thinking when when Kurt and you're right. That was a great. Remember that catch? It was a terrific catch that he made. Um, and, and with Jack Stoll's departure, you would have thought, all right, Kurt's going to get a few more snaps. But 
Uh, and maybe I don't know. I don't know the timing of this. If he did it after yesterday's practice, did he wait till after today's practice, and just didn't feel like, wow, I'm I'm getting passed already by some guys, and, and that could be the case uh, to decide to to pack and go. But with Stoll even, that did kind of clear a hurdle. A guy that had been ahead of Kurt the last couple of years, but you know, the, the the one thing I I see is when you see people leaving the program, it probably has to do something with playing time, and that means better players are coming in and taking playing time away from those guys. That's a good thing. We, we've seen it with Will Bolt's baseball team, right? I mean, you're seeing guys who have been a stable in the lineup for the last several years not getting nearly as many ABs and those type of things because younger players, newer players in the program are getting more at-bats from them. That's a good thing. It means you're getting better as a team, and I, I kind of view that the same thing here with Kurt. Did a great job for Nebraska, was here for a long time, but uh, has opted to go in the transfer portal and see where else he, his talents can take him. We do have a full practice report coming up here in a couple of minutes. We will hear from Will Bolt. He had a press conference today before the Huskers head off to Champaign tomorrow for a weekend series with the Illini. We'll have that. Our Major League Insider, Lane Grendel, will be here in hour number two. We are on the eve of opening day. Tomorrow, Major League Baseball opens up the 2021 season across the uh, across the country we'll get lane's take on what's been going on in the baseball world we'll all make our divisional picks this is what this gets scary because we actually write these down and track them and see where we uh, land in about six months on this thing so we're putting our reputations which there isn't much to them but we are putting those on on the line uh, with our major league baseball picks we'll have that in in hour number two it's wednesday night buy sell coming your way looking forward to that see what the uh, last week's uh, results turned out to me and what kind of questions we've got cooked up for this week's edition of buy sell and another conversation with the cooks is about ready to drop lauren sitting down with her dad john those are very very popular podcasts we'll play a snippet of this month's version of that coming up in the third hour as well Greg Sharp, Ben McLaughlin with you on a wednesday night two of the 15 husker spring football practices are now in the book it's time for us to do a practice report Every practice. We're going to work on it every single day until these guys master it. All season long. There's nothing better as an athlete than being part of something that's bigger than just yourself. And I think these guys are starting to feel that and we'll keep building it. It's time for a Husker football practice report on Sports Nightly. And our practice report brought to you by our good friends at JTEC. JTEC Construction. The official exterior experts of the Huskers. Several coaches, Ben, met with the media today, and they did it in person. First in-person press conference in more than a year. Yeah, yeah, definitely strange to have that dynamic back, but I think it's probably a welcome sign for everybody covering Husker practice and maybe even the coaches as well to kind of have things a little bit back to normal. Husker assistants meeting with uh, members of the media today and – a lot of the conversation today geared toward Coach Dawson and the special teams uh, situation. That was probably the most, most newsworthy thing to come from Coach Frost on Monday at his press conference with the spring. So some questions about outside linebacker, mostly questions about the special teams. And we'll just start out by how he got the special teams coordinator job. 
Uh, when the boss asks you to do a job, you don't generally say no. So um, uh, we, we, we had a few conversations about it, and um, you know, our staff is pretty hands-on with it, and um, all of our guys, uh, you know, it's not like we go special teams and then everyone goes and drinks Gatorade and stands on the side, and then you know, one or two guys are coaching. So uh, our guys are pretty hands-on, and we've been that way, and I think most of us grew up coaching that way. So uh, it was pretty good, pretty easy transition that way, and um, more organizing and um, uh, getting to be up in front of the room, which is great. I love that I can uh, be in contact and uh, touch different position groups than I normally would. I think that's one of the exciting parts about doing the special teams. You get to build relationships with uh, the defensive position, the DBs, or, the, or maybe the tight ends or things like that. So uh, I like that part about it, and I'm excited about it. Yeah, that's probably a big change. I mean, you go from a very specific part to the roster of the outside linebackers to basically dealing with every – every spot there is on the field based on what personnel you want to use. Probably a little more challenging for him, I would think, and that's kind of the sense I got from – from. he seemed, seemed excited about it, right? I mean, seemed pumped up. It sounds like he lost a little bit of his voice. That's good. That's a good sign. They're doing some They're doing some jawing out there in the practice field. Coach Dawson was asked about the first thing that needs to be fixed in regards to special teams. Yeah, well, the biggest thing with, with, every, with every phase of this game, if your techniques and fundamentals aren't great, then you're not going to have a chance for success. Uh, when I was in Philadelphia with the Eagles, uh, uh, Dave Phipp, who does an unbelievable job and has been a longtime NFL special teams coordinator, he spent more time on techniques and fundamentals by far and away than scheme. So if we can fix our techniques and fundamentals, uh, bring the intensity that goes with it and what you need, I think then we'll be able to grow and be better at the special teams. Something that uh, I think we all kind of long for the day where Nebraska is strong again in that area of special teams. What are the benefits of having an on-field dedicated special teams coach? Here's Coach Dawson. Yeah, I think that similar to what I was talking about with the meetings, it's, it's, just, it's great to be able to kind of get up and line up with a guy and be able to get your kind of, you know, uh, hands on him, so to speak, as far as, hey, this is your step, these are your techniques, and you kind of, you're really right up on it, and, you know, instead of kind of going through a guy or something like that, then uh, you're, you're, you get a chance to be face-to-face, and he can hear what you're saying a little bit better, and a um, little bit, uh, you can... Uh, learn the guys and learn their te- you know, how they learn and kind of alter your teaching to be able to help those guys each individually when you get to really get a chance to be right up on them like that. that that's the huge thing for me, Ben, is that w- with an analyst, they can't be down there on the field during the game. They can't be down there and sense what's going on. And, and I think that's so important in this phase of the game. And so I think this will be a huge addition to have a an actual, not that nobody was talking to those guys down there, but it's different if it's, Mike Dawson, right? I mean, he's got a big presence about him. I think that's going to be a big, big help for this group. Well, and it seems to me the biggest change so far is just the emphasis and approach. It sounds like in the past it was more scheme-related. This seems to be more hands-on fundamentals-related, so we'll see how that translates. Coach Dawson spoke to one area of special teams that Nebraska needs to improve on. That's kick return and punt return game and the competition happening at those spots. Yeah, we're the same deal. We're working a bunch of guys. It's one of the great things about having the roster size that we have. We have a lot of guys. It's going to be a big competition. Um, I hope the guys that have uh, experience use that to their advantage and um, you know incorporate that in their training, and then that will make them better as they go along. And then the younger guys that are hungry for that position, I want them to fight and try to uh, be able to go ahead and uh, take steps up that ladder too. So hopefully that competition is going to breed uh, the guys getting better and better at what they're doing. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out, I think, uh, with those weapons back in the in the return game. You obviously have 
a guy that's done it a lot in Cam Taylor Britt, but I also think that there's probably some young players eager to get a crack at making a big play when the situation arises um, as well. CTB was pretty good in the punt return game. We got some good punt, but the kickoff returns, Ben, my goodness. Most of the time we fair caught, the ones we didn't, we seemed like we couldn't get it even to the 20-yard line, which it means we're not – something wasn't right. I mean, you've got to be able to get some – bust a few to get them out there, and you got to be able to cover them. And, and Nebraska was kind of substandard in both areas a year ago on the kickoff, so hopefully that can be fixed. Yeah. One thing that uh, that we all kind of noticed as a whole is that there were probably a handful of areas that needed to improve uh, in regards to the special teams. So just as a whole, uh, Coach Dawson was asked, you know, what needs to improve in a broad lens on, on the special teams? No, it's almost like uh, when you go into your off-season program, right, with the guy, with Zach and his crew, right? Do you want uh, to, the guys to get uh, bigger or stronger or faster? And the answer is always yes. You want all of those things, right? So same thing when we're talking about uh, the outside linebackers, the edge guys, do we want to be better at setting the edge and um, uh, minimizing the yards per carry? Yes. Do we want to be able to be, do a better job at rushing the quarterback? Yes. We're not going to pick one or the other to do that. Same thing with special teams. We need to get better at everything. Our goal is to improve. We're not going to stay the same. We're not, you know, and, and there's no other choices. There's no going backwards. So we need to improve in all areas. Every single position on this team across the board, I think if you asked any – one of the coaches of any of the positions, they're going to tell you the same thing. It's not one thing where we're like, oh, yeah, we're good enough at that. We don't need to work there. So um, we're going to work, and when we go out there and drill, they're going to be held accountable for every single drill that we do. It's going to be detailed and organized, and they're going to know where they're going. So uh, it's on each individual player to use that opportunity to be as good as he can be. Just in perceiving Coach Dawson and his media availability today, just the energy and the passion alone that he brings, you hope breathes some life into those units because that seems to be, you know, the characteristics of a good special teams player in the past. You know, the energy that you that you provide and the passion in which that you do it. You know, you can be the most talented guy in the world, but if it doesn't mean anything to you, you're not going to be effective on, on the special team units. So I think just, you know, his personality should hopefully help um, you know, especially during the practice times and, of course, on Saturdays. Sure hope so. He's right. It's got to all get better. So he wasn't the only one to speak. Coach Becton, Nebraska tight ends, who we talked about there in the first segment, also met with members of the media. And, of course, one of the first questions the Husker media wanted to ask was how the freshman tight ends are holding up in their first couple of days. Here's his answer. They're coming around really, really excited about, you know, really the two that I have in right now. Um, uh, Fedoni, obviously, you know, he's got high praise coming out of high school, but he's just a freshman, you know, so um, I'm coaching him just as hard as the older guys. And then Carney right now, he'll be back. He's doing he's very limited right now. Uh, he'll be back here in two weeks to start taking full reps. But uh, those guys, both of those guys have done a tremendous job of taking to coaching, uh, understanding the details of what we're doing uh, offensively. Uh, we threw the whole playbook at these guys, and those guys are picking it up. They're not as fast as far as understanding what's going on, so they're not moving as quick uh, to, to pick things up, but they'll get there uh, by the end of the spring. Yeah, I think uh, Thomas Fedoni might be a name that's brought up quite frequently, um, You know, not just throughout practice but throughout the season as well. Coach Becton asked further on the freshman from Council Bluffs on the adjustments he's had to make from the high school game to the college game. Well, the, the first two days for him is the game is faster than he's ever experienced in, in high school. 
So he's got to understand the pace of play, how guys move, they're bigger, faster, and they're stronger. And then all of the details uh, that he wasn't coached in, in high school, he's got to understand. Uh, details help you win routes. Detail help you win in the blocking scheme and all those different things. He's, he's really, really starting to see, oh, hey, coach, I, I still do know, don't know a whole bunch. You know, so he being a highly touted kid, um, he's very, very humble, and he's working extremely hard. I, I really hope we, we pump some brakes on this a little bit, Ben. I, I don't know how this kid can live up to the, the hype that he's gotten. I mean, it's like he's going to come in and instantly change his offense. I, I mean, I hope he does, but I, I don't – my expectation isn't that because, one, I think Austin Allen's pretty good. I think he's going to be the number one tight end going into this fall. So I just hope people kind of slow down a little bit with Thomas because I think he's going to be a great football player here, but – I don't know that it's going to happen right out of the gates. I, I just hope people relax a little bit on him because, and hey, I know I, I've seen his tape. I saw a lot of clips of him in high school. Amazing. Did amazing things. But if you're going to be a Division One athlete, you ought to dominate the high school level at any sport you're playing. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's not entirely dissimilar to the, the hype around Wandale, you know, and, you know, these coaches weren't bashful on, on what they saw from him when he first came here either. So, yeah, I mean, it, you bring a bunch of stars with you to Lincoln in your recruiting profile, and it's just it's naturally going to come. Um, we chatted earlier this week with Austin Allen, and one thing that he told us uh, a while back is that one of his goals is becoming a captain on this team, and he's doing his best to build the relationships with his teammates to get him there. Coach Beckton talked about Austin and him stepping into more of a leadership role. Last year, I think he took the back seat of Jack Stoll because Jack was what has been the leader of our group, and you can tell now that he's really taken over the group. Uh, and then he's really emerged. Um, you could talk to Coach Frost about it, but he's really emerged as as one of our captains on offense. I, I don't know how that's going to play out later on, but just the first two days, and then all through winter conditioning, you can tell he was the guy that was organizing, uh, leading the group. Uh, guys that doesn't have they didn't have energy in their period uh, today. Austin, you know, got those guys going, and then we picked up the pace a little bit on offense. So I see him emerging as being one of the leaders. People that uh, listen to our show regularly have heard Austin talk a lot. I think we've interviewed him maybe three times even in the last six to eight months on this show. He's a very cerebral, intelligent guy, and his personality is really infectious. It's not hard to see how people on the football team, maybe even younger players, can attach to a guy like that. And, you know, the other thing about Austin that, that I think everybody likes is that he's a Nebraska kid, and it means a lot to him. And that matters. You know, how much you put into the program matters and, and what you want out of the program matters. And um, clearly it's being picked up by his teammates and, and his coaches as well. And you just tip your cap to him and hope he can continue to be a, a big weapon for the offense. Once he got into the end zone last fall, I felt like there was like a, the way the world lifted off of him. And I think, he, I think he's going to have a big fall. And I don't mind putting expectations on a guy who's gone through as much as he has in his college career. I think he's ready to handle it. Yeah. Well, let's uh, switch sides of the ball to the defense and talk specifically about one of the assistant coaches that was in the news this offseason and Coach Travis Fisher in the secondary his phone was busy. There were a lot of schools around the country that inquired about him wanting a service, wanting him to 
accept a new job someplace else. He elected to stay here in Lincoln. Um, the Georgia job most most prominently uh, that that there was interest there. Why did he stay here? What what was what was attractive about Nebraska? Here's Coach Fisher. I haven't reached my goal. Just haven't reached my goal. You know, I want to be the top um, secondary in the country here um, at this school. Um, and so I think I got guys that can do it. I really do. I think I got guys that can do it. I believe in the guys that I coach. I believe in the, in the staff and the direction that we're going as a, as a staff, as a team, um, and just the secondary. You know, those, those kids um, are good football players, and I think that those guys can be some of the top guys in the country this year. Greg, it's, it's really hard to look at the secondary and Coach Fisher off the field and see that players that he coaches have a ton of respect for him and want to play for him. You even go back to not just last year, the year before, but Lamar Jackson chose to come back to Lincoln to play for Coach Fisher. He could have moved on. He could have tried the NFL, but he wanted to come back. Cam Taylor Britt wanted to come back. Markeldis Muke and Deontay Williams, they want to come back and they want to play for Coach Williams. I, I don't, or excuse me, Coach Fisher. I don't think that that can be overstated how much of an impact that fish has on these players and you know his goal of having them be the best secondary in the country i think coach fisher truly believes that and i think that's the message that he's sending down to now you know some some super seniors at safety and you know a very highly graded corner in cam and he's getting some young toys back to play with too so i think it's we need to kind of take a second and appreciate the relationships that he's built with his room. No doubt. We've talked in the past about there's a bond there between he and the players. He inherited a mess. Of all the positions rooms that this this group inherited from the previous staff, that room was the messiest one. And now, culture-wise, performance-wise, it might be one of the best. And it's going to be really competitive out there in the spring and the fall to get snaps and yeah, you getting those all those guys to come back for another year. I I don't think there's any way either one either one of the safeties was going to come back, Ben. And they both came back, which that speaks to their love of playing college football and playing for Coach Fish. I I'm a total believer in what he's doing right now. Yeah, it, it, even if they were indifferent on Coach Fisher, or or you know that would have made the decision for them. You know, and and to say to actually want to come back, I think it says a lot about him and and. Yeah, just, just you know, that doesn't happen by accident. Right. Before we leave this, because I think you're getting ready to jump out of here, were you surprised at all that Deontay Williams was mentioned as like a record setter in the winter conditioning programs? You've seen him field level. You've seen him up close. I think that might have surprised some Husker fans that he might be the most athletic guy on this football team. Doesn't surprise me one bit. I, You know, I there are sometimes you walk away from players the first time you hear them speak or whatever, and they stand out for one reason or another. Um, Deontay, will, I'll remember forever the first time that I walked away from his media scrum, first media scrum hearing him speak, because here you have this junior college kid that hasn't ever played at this level before talking about, and, and you got to remember at the time, you know, we were talking about Nebraska's offense as this high-powered machine with all these tremendous athletes and how fast everybody on the offense is. And here you have a, a guy that's never put on a pad at, at the D1 level laughing at, at everybody suggesting that people were fast on the offense because he was faster than the ball. 
<laughs> and he's like, yeah, I'm the fastest one on the team. And he's like, I'll race anybody in front of anybody. I don't care. And like, he just didn't really have a filter. And you kind of walk away going, okay, that's kind of the attitude of a safety. And then there, I think it was the next year where he was all mad after a practice that Coach Frost told him he wasn't allowed to hit anybody because he, you know, it just, you know, we've seen him hit on Saturdays, and Coach Frost doesn't want him hitting our guys like that. And he was genuinely bothered and upset that the coach told him he couldn't hit anyone. And and so you couple those two conversations together with his athletic ability, and I think the end results are what you see. He's as competitive as they come. He's humble. He's mature. He's a freak athlete. If he was three or four inches taller, he would be a scout's dream at that level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm glad he's coming back. That was that was a horrible, horrible situation two years ago when he injured his shoulder on the first game of the year because we just started to get a sense of what he could do on the field. All right, we'll wrap up here quickly. We'll switch gears to the offensive line to Coach Greg Austin and just uh, generally what has to get uh, better or what, how has the offensive staff tried to get better this offseason? Yeah, it's been it's been awesome. Um, we've we've had an opportunity to look at what we did last year, look at what we did since we've been here, right? In some in some regards, um, and then you know, with us being uh, not being able to go on the road recruiting, we've been we've been able to do some research, you know, and look at ways to kind of tweak the things that we do uh, to make them better and really coach it through a lot of detail, you know. So. Many times, sometimes you kind of put something new in and then, you know, you're like learning all the lessons like after you do it wrong for 1,500 times, right? Now, you know, we've kind of uh, worked out the kinks, if you will. Um, so that's given us an opportunity between Coach Frost, Coach Lubick, and all the offensive staff to, to really be on the same page more uh, in what we're doing. There you go. Coach Greg Austin chiming in as well. So day two, under wraps. Wow, a lot of stuff there. Good, good work there on the uh, JTEC practice report. Saw this story today and had to read it twice to make sure that I got it right. You know, the NCAA has just completely fumbled the women's NCAA tournament. Not sure if you heard what they did to the Oregon State men the other night. They, of course, played uh, in... The Elite Eight game the other night got beat. They play. They they were the early game, right, Ben? They played the six o'clock Central seven seven yeah. o'clock Eastern time game. So they, they their game ends. They lose. They're out. Their their tournament is over. So it's about you know it's probably after ten o'clock Eastern when they get back to their hotel room, and their their director of ops gets a phone call. Said, "All right." You guys are your planes leaving at one fifteen. He goes, okay. I'll give our guys a good night's sleep. And he goes, no, no, no. Uh, in, in three hours, you're, you're to be to be at the airport. Your flight is leaving at one fifteen in the morning to fly to. I think they flew into Eugene and then had to bus to Corvallis. I don't think Corvallis has a big enough airport. How about that? Are you kidding yeah. me? Just we're disgusting. Gonna, we're gonna fly them home. Are you kidding me? Absolutely crazy. I mean, the, the, my issue with it, uh, and there, okay, my one of my issues with it, are, are you not already charged for the night of hotel at you one o'clock so. in the morning? You didn't know who was going to so, lose. So what's the point? You know what I mean? You're not. It's not a cost saving thing at that point. Now I have been a part of Big Ten tournaments to where there's a 24 hour rule. You're not allowed to be 
as a team, you're not supposed to be in the town or in your hotel more than 24 hours before your first game. That's yeah. common. And a lot of times you leave right when your game is over. Um, but I've never heard of anything like this at all. That, it's, it's just absolutely crazy to me. Just picture in your mind how far a flight that is from Indianapolis, Indiana to Eugene, Oregon. I mean, it has to be over a three-hour flight. And you're not taking off until 1.15 Eastern time. And I know that's 11.15 Pacific time, but still, their still, bodies, been, yeah, their yeah, bodies been are in Indy forever. Yes, I mean, my goodness, I I understand trying to get teams home. If 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 you played the noon game on a day, or even a three o'clock game on a day, and you're done, and you can get out of there by eight o'clock, but that that just seems unbelievable to me. I mean, come on, where is common sense with these people? That is just crazy. I well, I, I, ugh. All right, coming up, this is our big hour coming your way. Will Bolt had a press conference. We're going to get to some comments from him here in just a few minutes. Our Major League Baseball insider, the former host of this little ditty, Lang Grendel, is going to join us. We're going to talk about the start of the baseball season, which is tomorrow, and we'll pick out our division winners. Our group will do that. Having some fun with that. Will Bolt, Oscar baseball coach, didn't meet with the media today. Oscar's off to an 11-4 and start to the season. And you've heard Ben and, and Nick and I talk on the – game broadcasts about how versatile this offense is. They can get you with a long ball or they can beat you with small ball. Uh, they can just do a lot of different things. Will Bolt was asked about how he's built such a versatile offense. I think it starts with um, having defined roles and, and guys uh, knowing exactly what those roles are and what's expected of them. Um, that that's a big a big part of it and a lot of their daily work revolves around um the things that we would ask them to do on a game day um you know whether it be laying down a bunt for a hit or you know hit and run um or you know a guy that needs to be able to drive the baseball um you know those, those type of things they're working on every day and i think that's such a big part of of being a successful hitter is uh knowing exactly what your role is because uh, a lot of times you know you hear it from guys it's like well I'm just trying to do too much you know I'm just you know I'm trying to go outside myself and um that happens if you don't know exactly what your role is supposed to be so um you know we don't have a lineup full of guys that are just going to be base cloggers that hit home runs we don't have a bunch of slap hitters in the lineup that you know just hit singles I feel like we've got um a good blend of uh, the guys that are just going to get it done, uh, which are the ball players, which is a Joe Acker. You know, I mean, he's just finding a way to get on base at a really high clip. Your Jackson Hallmarks, who's you know had eight or nine bunt base hits uh, on the year already, um, and then you've got your guys that you know your Cam Chicks that are you know the run producers that when those guys get on base, um, he's there to clean it up. So um, you got to have different roles, and the guys need to know what those roles are, and they need to be clearly defined. I'll add one more thing to this, Ben, alone being versatile. They're not predictable at all. I mean, we, and I probably do it more than you and Nick do, try to kind of guess along. And I remember last week there was a thing where Huskers had two on, nobody out, and Spencer Swillenbach's up, and you're like, well, you're not going to ask him to bunt. I mean, this guy could hit it out of the park. Well, he bunts. So you're keeping the team guessing because you're not predictable at all with what you're doing. Yeah, and, and you know, I not like – you know, I need to echo coach's thoughts, right? I mean, that, that's the last thing people need to hear is me agreeing with the head coach. But, uh, you know, even just chatting with the guys, the players, you know, it's just such a, a narrow focus, I suppose, as opposed to, 
you know, for example, those that played high school or college baseball, right? I mean, I, don't, I guess I can't speak for others, but, you know, it was during your batting practice, so to speak, each round you had a plan, right? This is You're going to do two hit and runs, and then you're going to be hitting middle op this round, so you're going to be hitting the ball, you know, trying to hit everything the other way. If it's in, inside pitch, try and hit it up the middle. You're going to have your runner at third less than two situation where you're trying to hit, you know, fly balls or ground balls in the middle infield. And you're going to have, you know, your 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 drive-in round, so to speak, where you got guys on base, you got to drive and run. So each round it seemed you were doing something different. And, th- and not to say that those guys don't do that, but even in the example that I laid out, you're trying to do four or five different things in a very quick amount of time in a batting practice to where if your focus is narrowed and, and you're, you're only focusing on maybe two of those things or three of those things and doing those things every day, you're going to be a lot more comfortable doing those things in a game. So I truly believe that these guys have their roles and they have embraced those roles. And it's one thing to coach it, right? It's one thing to say, okay, this is what you're going to do. But when you get that validation that 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 plan is working on game days and it's not only working for you as an individual, but it's working out for your team and wins – you're all of a sudden going to be all in on it, and you're going to say, "Yep, this is this is who I am. This is what we are, and this is what we're going to do." If you're not winning, particularly early in the season, and baseball is such a mental game for those that have played, you know that your doubt starts to creep in your mind. What am I doing? Why am I doing this? What for? What purpose is this working? But the coaches has a plan. They've executed that plan, and even better, they've had on-field results and success with that plan early which I think is just adding logs to the fire of this offense. He talked about guys figuring out their roles a little bit, and he was asked about his super seniors, guys like Roscoe, Mojo, uh, some of those other guys who came back for this sixth year, and they've all started to contribute for this team. Here's his thoughts about those guys finding their, their way. Yeah, it's been, it's been pretty fun to see. And, you know, speaking of Roscoe, uh, I touched on it a little bit this weekend, um, but he's – He's always known that he's better when he stays in the middle of the field. I think he's always always had a fight, um, just trying that that trying to do too much piece of it where things are going good. Well, if I just did this, I could be a little bit better. Um, and all the while, what he was doing was just going to be just fine um, to help us win and for him to be a productive member of the of the offense. Um, so he's just he's simplified things. He's just very much knows exactly what he's trying to do when he goes to the plate. He's not worried anymore about guessing or thinking, trying to outthink the pitcher or trying to have perfect mechanics on game day. All the things that if you start worrying about that, you're just going to be very inconsistent. Um, he's simplified things. Acker has very much just sold out to being the ball player where it's whatever I've got to do to get on base and to move the offense. That's what I'm going to do. Um, I mean, he's in a 3-2 count just about every at-bat, it feels like, and, and just really competitive for us, whether it be at the leadoff spot, the nine hole, um, had some really big hits for us, and just very much clearly understands what is expected of him, and he just goes out and, and fulfills that role. And, and a guy like Hallmark, I think, has battled um, early in his career. He's got just enough pop to be dangerous, uh, but at the same time, uh, chased the pull side home run probably a little bit too much. Um, and now he's really embraced that. I mean, he wants to be the guy that leads the Big Ten in bunt base hits. Like, he wants to be a guy that is at the top of the leaderboard of stolen bases and, and just be a guy that, that wreaks havoc on the base pass. So, 
he's clearly understood and, and bought into what he's trying to do as well. And, um, you know, those guys at the top of the order and in and, and the middle of the order have, have, have done a nice job. And I'd put Mojo in that category too. I mean, you see him, he's a much better bunter. Um, he, he's not punching out. He's, he's just grinding out his at-bats as well. There's the coach talking about his super seniors on this team, all with big roles right now. And I really like having Acker in that leadoff spot. He put him there in Iowa City. And I remember asking the coach, Ben, one of the pregame shows, like, oh, I really like him. Upper goes, yeah, I do too, but I liked him in the nine hole too. So, I, you know, uh, again, uh, that, you love the versatility. And I don't think it matters to Joe Acker. You think for sure he'd want to be in the leadoff role. But if you say, Joe, today we're putting you in the nine, I think Joe would go, okay, grab his glove and run out to right field. Well, Joe understands that. Being in the nine hole, it's it's a responsibility. It's not just, you know, to a baseball newcomer, you see somebody batting last and you assume they're the worst hitter. There is a specific set of skills that you have to have to occupy that nine spot. And a lot of times the best teams in baseball have a really good nine hole hitter. Um, and, and in a lot of ways, you know, you're brought up that the nine hole hitter um, – is essentially a second leadoff guy in a sense that you need to get on base and you need to find ways to get the lineup back to the top of the order in that same inning. And so I don't think it was a huge transition from Joe mentally going from the nine spot to the leadoff spot and, you know, not to, you know, just keep beating this team's drum, but the Michigan team that made the run in 2019 to the college world series had a very good nine hole hitter. And that was a KO Thomas. He, he was an experienced batter. He was probably one of the better hitters on that Michigan team just in terms of approach and average, but he batted in the nine spot until Wogu got hurt for a reason, and they were a very successful offense because of it. Now, there are you know countless other examples in the majors where that's the case, but yeah, I, I don't think it, it's been a big transition from Joe for the nine spot to the leadoff spot because I think it's just his natural approach to hitting that puts him in so many good spots that characterize a leadoff hitter. So I think it was an easy decision for the coaches to make once they made it. And even though I think he might have had two, maybe three hits on the weekend, his OBP is still really high, and he just finds ways to spark rallies, like the catcher's interference situation that we ran into this weekend. Good things happen when you put together good ABs. Buckle up and put the phone down. It's a reminder from the NDOT Highway Safety Office. All right, Illinois is up next for this team. Three-game series in Champaign. They are 7-8. and eight. Been a bit of a puzzle. They've beaten. They've won some games. You're like, okay, thought they'd win that. And they've lost some games. You're like, well, I thought they might win that one. So a bit up and down for them. Here's the head coach talking about the fighting Illini. Yeah, I mean, they're, I, I, you know, they're always a team that is, when I think of Illinois, I think of athleticism. I think of a team that um, they've, they've always got a, a versatile type team, um, like you just touched on with us, like where they're not necessarily going to rely on uh, the long ball. They can steal some bases. Uh, they can put the ball in play. Um, I think they're at or near the top of the league in team batting average. Um, they've got a couple of arms that have, are off to a really good start. Um, you know, and they're they're right there. Um, in that realm of teams that could make a move at any point in time. And uh, they're well coached. Their coach uh, has been there for quite a while and Coach Hartlib. And, and they're used to, to winning and, and going to regionals and being a team that's at or near the top of the standings every year. So um, just like every other weekend in this conference nowadays, it is – top to bottom as good as, as, as it's ever been. And, um, you know, we've got to play our best if we want a shot to get out of there with the results that we want. 
Series starts Friday night. They've moved Friday to 6 o'clock starts of 5.30 pregame coverage here in the network. And Saturday's game has been moved from 2 to 5. Sunday stays at noon. They've moved them back just to hope that the maybe get some dying wins later in the day. When we come back, we'll sit down and chat with the former host of this show and our Major League Baseball insider, Lane Grindle. That's next. Very excited for tomorrow, opening day for Major League Baseball. Time for us to talk to our insider all about it. His voice will sound familiar. And Neville's gone. Bye-bye baseball. His knowledge is endless. He looked so fast. It was unbelievable. He's our Major League Baseball insider. Just ate a brownie, so I'm ready to go. Lane Grindle. You still get excited for opening day, or is it? Are you just uh, such an old hat at it that it doesn't doesn't affect you anymore? <laughs> I don't think you ever get used to opening day. Um, opening day is a thing that, unless you experience it, you don't understand it. Uh, I remember as a kid, I hadn't gone to opening day as a fan, um, and so it was like, yeah, this is awesome because baseball's starting again. But the pageantry of it, I just don't think it quite comes through on television as it does when you're in the ballpark for it and when you're in the midst of it. And so my first true opening day was my first year with the Brewers. I had never been to an opening day before that. I'd been to the World Series multiple times. I'd been to postseason games, but I'd never been to an opening day until my first year with the Brewers. And my jaw was on the floor. I mean, it's just it's a really cool, neat day. And it's a really special day in Milwaukee because this place, it doesn't matter if it's 15 degrees and snowing. They are tailgating like crazy in this town, and and they are always so optimistic and excited about their team. And you know, this is the smallest market in Major League Baseball, and yet they consistently draw 2.5, 3 million fans. And so it's a big deal here. And um, I not having it last year was one of the lowest points for me throughout the entire pandemic and then our home opener got delayed because the cardinals had a COVID test once we even were getting back to it and that's not a true opening day anyway because there were no fans so the fact that we're getting it tomorrow and we're going to have fans in the stands and it's going to feel a little bit closer to normal is a really fun thing i'm excited how was spring training was was it did it feel normal or did it still feel odd and, and with a lot of restrictions imposed you know, honestly, I, I would tell you that I thought it felt closer to normal than not. You know, last year felt closer to not um, during the season with no fans and cardboard cutouts and piped-in crowd noise, and all those things were fine. I mean, uh, I was just doing an event earlier tonight for a, a, a bunch of our fans, and I, I was asked about, you know, getting ready for this opening day, kind of like your questions. And, and I said, you know, last year we sat around all summer, and so – we were willing to take any baseball as long as it had a bat and a ball and nine guys on the field. Like we, we, we were willing to do whatever, right? Like let's just play ball. I think that was really the thought for so many people in the game, no matter what we have to do or what it has to look like, let's find a way to play the game. Um, but it wasn't the same. And I think we knew that going in and, and it wasn't the same. Um, it, it felt way closer to the same in spring training. You only had 2,200, 2,300 fans, depending on where you were at. Um, and so it wasn't, they weren't packed houses or anything like that, but there were fans in the stands. There was a, a, a soundtrack underneath your voice when you were calling the game. There was interaction, 
you know, between fans and players in the outfield, you know, you throw a ball up into the stands, stuff like that, that are the little idiosyncrasies of the game that we kind of take for granted that were gone and now they're back. And, and for some of them, you maybe didn't even realize they were gone, but you're like, Oh yeah. You know, like th- those are things that happen when things are a little bit more normal. So it was refreshing. I, I would say would be the, the best way I could put it, Greg. Um, it's not all the way back in its true traditional sense, but it's so much closer to that. And I think we're going to have the same feeling coming away from tomorrow too. Again, Vizian Lane Grindle, former host of this show, our Major League Baseball insider now with the Milwaukee Brewers. Last year, there were all kinds of different tweaks to the game uh, because of the condensed schedule. Are we back to normal with the rules, the different uh, elements that that were kind of fired up last year, or are there still some idiosyncrasies imposed for this upcoming season? I mean, things have, for the most part, kind of gone back. Uh, Obviously, there's no DH in the National League as of right now. Um, there's not, and so I would assume we're not going to have a DH tomorrow when the season starts, but you never know. But I, I would I would assume there's not going to be a DH um, this season in the National League. I, I like pitchers hitting. Um, I've really grown fond of it. There's been some of my favorite moments in my going on my sixth year with the Brewers that have involved pitchers hitting. But there's also been some injuries that were tough from pitchers hitting that – that ruined seasons. I mean, the Brewers might have been in the postseason in 2017 if Jimmy Nelson doesn't get hurt as he thinks about stretching a single into a double at Wrigley and then puts the brakes on and dives back into the first base bag and tears his labrum. And he was our ace. And he probably had three more starts left that year, and the Brewers finished a year out, uh, a game out of the postseason that year. So uh, I, I get it. Like, people would rather see a hitter hit. Um, but it's pretty fun to see Brandon Woodruff take Clayton Kershaw deep in the NLCS too. So, you know, there's both things to that, but we're we're not going to have a DH in the national league this year. And then beyond that, the three batter minimum that was in place before everything got weird last year. So that's still in place. If you're a reliever and come out of the pen, you got to end the inning or you got to face three batters. It's one or the it's one or the other. You can't play that straight up matchup game anymore. So some of those things are different, um, and 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 I think we're going to continue to see Greg more and more tweaking with the rules um, moving forward. I really do. Um, there's a lot going on in the minor leagues right now this year. They're going to have 18 inch bags uh, at one level. You're going to only be allowed so many pickoff moves at another level. There's going to be a lot of things to try to get the ball in play more and to try to kind of move the game along a little bit more. And so I think they're going to continue to to tweak with some of these things. Theo Epstein, this is his job now basically in the baseball office to, to try to find a way to get the ball in play more and make more baseball action be a part of the game. And so, you know, they'll try – they're not going to try it all at once. So one year they're going to try this or that, and the next year they might introduce something new. And I think that's going to be an ever-changing thing for a while in our game. Extra innings go back to normal? Uh, yeah, uh, that, that, that'll that go back to normal. Uh, 26-man rosters, of course. That We, we also have 26-man roster. We had 28-man rosters last yeah. year. Um, 26-man rosters – um, this year, that was going to 26 before the pandemic. So it just kind of goes back to what it originally was. And you're going to see the, the biggest thing to, to, to look for over the course of this year, Greg, is that you're going to see 
a lot of turnover from a pitching standpoint. And we see that anyway because guys throw so hard now, even the the seventh or eighth guy in a bullpen is probably throwing 95-plus. And so they're up one night, and they throw 22 pitches, and they're down the next day. You know, they're, they're barely up for 24 hours. And you rotate a bunch of guys through those roles in the seventh, eighth spot in your bullpen. Well, guy, we've never done this before. We've never had a 60-game season. Guys throwing maybe 60 innings in a year, 70 innings at the most in a year. And now we're going to ask them to go throw 180, 190 innings. We've never done that before. And we can't probably do that and, 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 and be conscious of guys' health on the mound. So I think you're going to see the, the real workhorses this year, um, like a healthy Max Scherzer, 150 innings. I don't, I don't think we'll see very many guys throw more than 150 innings this year. So how you manage your pitching staff, how often you go to a six-man rotation, how you utilize your off days, what kind of depth you have in AAA stashed away that can make spot starts for you or can, can backfill in your bullpen. I think those are going to be things that determine divisions. You know, the NL East could be close. The Mets look like they're really good on paper. The Braves are certainly really good. I think the Phillies are, are, are improved, and I'm not sure they're at that level, but they're, they're, they're good enough to, to, to be a problem. The Nationals, I think, made themselves better. I, whoever wins that division, it may just come down to, to how they manage their staff over the course of the year and what kind of depth they had behind what's on their opening day roster. Um, the Brewers have Zach Godley, the former Diamondback. They have Jordan Zimmerman, the former Washington National and Detroit Tiger. Those guys are going to start at their alternate site. Those are just guys that give them links as sixth, seventh, eighth kind of starters, and you're going to need them. And so that's going to be, I think, a, an ever-changing storyline we're going to be watching closely as the season goes along. Season gets underway tomorrow, and I always love to ask you, give me a couple of teams that are a little bit off the radar that you liked, and you nailed them last year. You told me that San Diego in the National League, and you liked what the White Sox were doing in the American League, and you hit both of those. They were both really exciting young teams that are getting better and better. Anybody jump off the page at you in either league that that you think maybe isn't getting quite enough attention? Yes. Um well, I I like the Washington Nationals, and, yeah. and everybody, I think, has forgotten about them because of that division, because everybody kind of has fallen in love with what the Mets have done, and rightfully so. They've made themselves better, and I think the Mets are finally going to be a a good team that lives up to their, their rotation, because we, we've known they've had a good rotation for a while, but I think they've got all the other pieces now, too. So I think the Mets are going to be really good, and and the Braves are the class of that division until somebody proves to me that they're not. But I like the Nationals. They added Josh Bell. I think he, he's going to fit into that lineup really well. Kyle Schwarber's going to hit a lot of home runs for him. He doesn't play left field real well. But I can't believe he didn't end up in the, in the American League. I mean, he's an American League baseball player, and he's played his whole career in the National League. But he's going to hit home runs, and he makes their lineup better. They've got an unbelievably good rotation. I think they made their bullpen better. And so I, I, I like the Washington Nationals. I think they could be a little bit of a problem in the NL East um, before it's all said and done. So I would go there. I like my team a lot. I think the Brewers are good. I think this is as good a team as the Brewers have fielded coming out of spring training in my six years that I've been with the team. 2018, they went to the NLCS. 2019, they were really talented and ended up with a wild card spot. I think this team is every bit on paper 
the team that those two teams were coming out of spring training. Now, what you do at the deadline will matter, and a lot of other things will matter, but this is going to be an unbelievably elite defensive team. They've got really good arms and a lot of arms that people haven't heard of that they're going to hear about. And I think they're um, they're going to be an offense that surprises people because they've cut down on strikeouts by adding Jackie Bradley and Colton Wong. They're gonna they're gonna see a bounce back from Christian Yelich. I think that's pretty safe to say he's not going to have that kind of a year again. And I, I think this team is going to be pretty dangerous in the NL Central. In the American League, I'm not sure that there's a lot of surprises. I'll give you one that I think is is much better. I don't know if it's going to be better enough. But I think the Kansas City Royals, if they can keep their head above water through the month of April and kind of get some of that young pitching to keep getting a foothold in, in that rotation and, and, and keep you know improving and getting more and more comfortable, I like their lineup. I, I don't think it's a, a lineup that wins the AL Central, but go around it. It's, it's good. Um, Mondesi's hurt right now. That's kind of a blow because I think if they're going to be really good, he's got to be a star. And that's that's a consistency issue with him. But, you know, Whit Merrifield, a really good hitter that nobody talks enough about in Major League Baseball. Jorge Soler, big-time power. Andrew Benintendi has been an above-average player for the majority of his career and, and still has a lot left. I mean, he's still a very young player. There's still a lot of ceiling left with Andrew Benintendi, in my opinion. Michael A. Taylor's a really talented guy. I'm not sure what type of hitter he'll be in that lineup but a great center fielder um you just keep going down the list I'm, I'm not maybe as sold on dozier as others are but certainly a guy that can provide some power santana when he's right is is a great first baseman from a power standpoint so i i like their team we know that they have one of the best catchers in the game and i think they've got good young arms when i saw them last year i was really impressed with their young arms is that enough to, to, to play with the Twins and the White Sox consistently over 162, I'm not sure it is. I think they're a solid third in that division potentially, but um, Cleveland just keeps churning out star pitcher after star pitcher. So, um, you know, I think they'll be in a battle with Cleveland for that third spot in the AL Central. Maybe maybe they, they're even a little bit better than that, but that would be a team that I'm going to keep an eye on in the American League, and not just because I used to be a fan, but because I think they've they've gone out there and they've tried to make themselves better, and I think they've added some interesting pieces, and I don't think they have a lot of holes in their lineup like they would have had last year or even two years ago. Very good. All right, what time are you going to the park tomorrow? I have my first interview on television tomorrow morning at 5.05. Woo, better get to bed. <laughs> It'll be an early morning for me. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's fun. It's it's one of those days. You're, you're up anyway. I mean, you're ready to get to the ballpark and get going on these days. Very good. We enjoy it. Appreciate you coming on. and Have fun tomorrow. Hi, I can't wait. Uh, sounds good. Welcome back to the program. Time for all of us to put it in writing. Where our picks for the division winners in Major League Baseball. Ben, you get to lead us off with the AL East. Who do you like back east? Well, pretty hard not to uh, to pick the team that you know I once despised, and I wouldn't even say, I wouldn't say I'm a fan of them per se, but I don't hate them as much as I used to. The Baltimore so, Orioles, <laughs> no, never had a problem with Baltimore. Give me the Yankees here. Uh, I, I do think they're the, they have the best pitcher in baseball. They've got a lot of really good parts offensively. Um, so yeah, give me uh, give me the. Bronx Bombers. 
Okay. Yeah, I'm. I'll, I'll follow suit. I'll say New York. They have the you know the lineup with you know John Carlo and all those guys, and they they picked up uh, Kluber in addition, and we'll see if he has any gas left in the tank. But obviously, you start with Garrett Cole and then Eraldis Chapman on the back end. So yeah, give me give me the Yankees, even though I really like Tampa in that division. Yeah, I'll make it three for three so far with the Yankees. I think the Blue Jays are an intriguing team. I don't think they have quite enough. I think the Rays took a step back, too. So this is this is New York's to lose in the AL East. Yeah, I picked the Rays last year. Uh, the shortened season, I, I like that. and But they, I think that they did unload a little bit too much that they can't replace. And over the long haul, the Yankees will prevail. It's kind of boring. We all go chalk with, with the Yankees in yeah. the East. We also have Tim's he, Tim's picks. He's not here, but he also went with New York. Okay. All right, Josh, the Central's Oof. yours. I mean, it's mine, and I'm going to go with my team, the Twins. I know that the White Sox are also a major contender. They very well could win the division, but until I am told otherwise or have been shown otherwise, I'm going with the Twins. Let's go. And Tim also went with the Twins, too, so he's on. he's on board. I am not on board. I, I will go with the trendy <laughs> White Sox pick. Not a, not a fan of any other AL Central teams, really. I know the White Sox did just lose Eloy Jimenez crashing into a wall in spring training, busted up his shoulder, but I still think they have enough. They have former Orman Rowboats standout Liam Hendricks as their closer now, so that's a guy I'll be pulling for at least some of the time this year. <laughs> Is Liam Hendricks' arm still attached after yeah, that 190-pitch <laughs> relief effort? <laughs> My guess is that since the White Sox signed him, it's probably still attached. What it has left, we'll see. Yeah, he's got a rubber arm. We do know was that. Was that game against your team? It was. I lost. It was yeah. like 23 innings. It was the worst. All right, let's move on. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, this one was tough for me because I, I, I like the steadiness of the Twins, but I, I'm going to go with the White Sox. I think they're going to even be big spenders at the trade deadline and make a move to push them to the finish line. So I'll go White Sox in the Central. Yeah, full disclosure, and this isn't to make Josh feel better by any stretch, but this is the one that I struggled with the most. This is the one I spent the most time thinking about. And and I think the Twins just kind of have something about them that, that you want to give them the edge, right? They're not always the prettiest. They're not always the sexiest. They don't make the free agent moves. They don't make the big trades. But there's just something that, like the it factor that they seem to have. Um, but I... My my gut was I was thinking I suppose with my head and not my heart so I chose the I chose the pale hosers as no. well I think the the determining factor to me uh, is Aaron Bummer pitches for the White Sox oh, and I have him on my fantasy baseball team this year so all right. I'm kind of all about it I do think that they have a really good rookie on their team named Andrew Vaughn that fans need to watch out for I think he's going to have a good year even with the Eloy news but. Yeah, give me the uh, give me the White Sox. All right, let's go to the West. Austin, you get to pick first. All right, this is one that I had to spend some time deliberating over, but I ended up with a kind of chalky pick from where it's been. I stick with the Astros as my champion coming out of the AL West. They did lose some pieces. George Springer, a huge loss, I think, for that team. But I still think they have enough to bounce back from a rough last season. I think they overtake Oakland. And I think the Angels give them a little bit of a challenge, but I think Houston still has enough to win it. Not nearly as comfortably as they have in recent history, but enough to get it done. Yeah, what we saw in the playoffs, they, they wanted to turn it on. They could and did. So I'm going Astros as well. I was really tempted to go Oakland, but I'm going to go Houston. I think Oakland finishes at least third in the division. I, 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 
everyone wants to pick the, the Angels. That's kind of the sexy pick because of the spring Shohei Otani has had. I don't trust him to stay healthy at all. Give me the cheaters. Sorry, Coach Bolt. Wow. I'm, taking, I'm taking the Astros again. Um, yeah, I for, they lose Springer, but they get Jordan Alvarez back, who, as we saw with the Vegas Outlaws, that dude can mash. So <laughs> It's true. Usually I'm the one on the Astros bandwagon, but I am not. I jumped off. I'll go with the Athletics. They don't have any sexy names on their team, but they get the job done, and so I'll pick them, and Tim did as well. Wow. Okay. All right, we need to take a break. We'll come back and pick our National League picks and wrap up our two next. We're back, Sports Island, here on a Wednesday night on the eve of the start of the Major League Baseball season. We're picking our division winners. We just did the American League. Let's go to the National League. I'm up first with the East. Doggone it. Lane Grindle stole my thunder. I'm calling for the Nationals to bounce back in a big way. They win the East. All right. No chance. Scherzer's a dinosaur. (laughs) Corbin and Strasburg are shadows of their former selves. I understand that Juan Soto could win the MVP this year, but... I am out on the Nats. I am in on the Atlanta Braves. I think they go sign Charlie Morton, bolster that that rotation. Um, I think Ian Anderson is a stud, and I think offensively they're really, really good as well. So I'm I'm in on Atlanta. Yeah, I can see an argument to be made for the Mets. I don't see an argument for the Nationals really. I mean, maybe, but the I'm I'm all in on the Braves as well. They they've gotten better, and they were already the class of the East. So give me the Braves. I will go with the Mets, Ben. You said the best pitcher in baseball resides in New York. I think you're right. I think it's in Queens, though, not the Bronx. DeGrom's good. I like the additions they made. I will buy in on this hype train. Tim has the Braves, by the way. All right. To the Central, Ben. Yeah, it's not just because I talked to Lane earlier about about his Brewers, but I'm choosing Milwaukee for a bounce back. I think Woodruff has really turned a corner as a starter. They have a a dynamic bullpen, one of the best in baseball with Devin Williams and Josh Hader. They bring Colton Wong over, which I think is a sneaky good signing. And, yeah, I'm kind of bullish on the the Brew crew. Yeah, they've been a a good team in the Central for a while now. Once they kind of took the torch from the Cubs and – have held on to it so i'm going with the brew crew as well no one in this division excites me but i'll make it another brewer's pick and tim I takes love the, the cards <laughs> and i'm and i i can't believe i'm saying this but i'm with tim i, I no. love their wow. corner fielders goldschmidt and arenado what a pickup that was for st louis i think they're the more well-rounded team more depth in their organization give me the cards Ooh. <laughs> All right, let's go west, Josh. All right, I'm going surprise, surprise, the Dodgers. I could see the Padres making a run here, but until the Dodgers are taken down from their throne, give me L.A. Yeah, I like Josh's logic. Dodgers for me, too. I think they're a little fat and sassy after finally Ooh. busting through and winning the thing. Give me the Padres to take the NL West. Wow. The last time the Padres pod tried to buy the division, it blew up in their face. I don't know that it's going to blow up in their face, but I don't think it's going to get it done. Until they prove me wrong, I'm picking the Dodgers. Oh, I thought maybe you were going Giants. Tim's going Padres with you, Greg. You and I do think the Giants are going to be better than people think. they got a lot of young prospects, but I don't think they're going to be excellent. All right. I'm in deep trouble if Tim and I match. You up guys line up way too thing. much, Greg. <laughs> Jeez. Well, it's all getting going tomorrow. You laughed at my picks last year. I came out in pretty good shape. We'll see. Here we are back. Hour number three of our Wednesday night sports only here on the Husker Sports Network. Going to have some fun this hour. Buy, sell. See how we did last week with all that batch of questions and a bunch of new ones coming up this week. Have some fun with this. And we'll play a little snippet of the latest podcast, The Conversation with the Cooks. 
all coming your way this hour. We'll even leave some open phones for you later on in the hour as well. But let's get it going with Buy, Sell. It's time to buy or sell. Now here's the hosts of Buy or Sell, Josh Elkerman and Austin Orman. Here we are, back for another week. Ten answers to give you, not the most, not Ooh. the least, but I'm excited <laughs> for the questions we have on tack. Guys, I know I've been getting some Tim-esque flack for being at the bottom of the pack but you know i think slowly but surely i'm creeping my way back into things well and i promise some analytics this week i have analytics for you so we Good. have some in-depth numbers on who's doing well against two etc etc who's providing the layups exactly and who's not correct well before we get to the hard numbers let's get to the easy numbers first answer from last week comes from a greg husker volleyball question we can answer it already buy or sell that nebraska plays fewer than 14 sets the rest of the regular season <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's gonna happen unfortunately with this weekend's matches canceled against penn state nebraska played just seven sets in the regular season since that question was asked so it's a sell but all of us bought it or all of us. It's Ooh. a buy, all or, of us yes, sold it. Yes, correct. It's a buy, all of us sold it. 0 for 6. Wrong. Rough start, team. Man, yeah. my questions Technicality. are too hard. Hey, we're, we're good. We're fine. Technicality. True. Questions are too hard. Too hard. <laughs> you got to make them easier, Greg. All right. And I knew that. You know, when I asked that, I knew that was a possibility because yeah. we already knew Penn State was canceled. Yeah. I, yeah. Sad. Oh, well. Uh, ben, you had a Husker baseball question last week. Buyer saw that Nebraska would hit for the cycle as a team in the four games with the Minnesota Golden Gophers this past weekend. That actually ended up being a sell. The Husker offense did well. 28 singles, four doubles, four homers, but zero triples, unfortunately. We knew that was going to be the hard part. Uh, we were split on that question. Greg, Austin, and myself all sold it, though, and were correct. The rest of you guys bought it. And we're incorrect. So Ben was with Tim on that one. Correct. Yeah, you were <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Brett. Yep, it was split. Brett. I wasn't. I wasn't on an island. We're <laughs> no, good. No, you weren't. Uh, I had that in the back of my mind all weekend, just yep. waiting for that triple to pop, and it just and never did. Can you imagine if you had been on the call on Sunday? You know, it's, it's like the triple. seventh inning, and we, you know, yeah. Huskers hit it's a triple. A triple. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you would have just lost it. Oh man! Uh, if I could have flipped the table in the booth, I would have. <laughs> <laughs> Probably would have thrown something out of the booth in the excitement. <laughs> Love it. All right, on to March Madness. Josh, you asked us, buy or sell that a double-digit seed reaches the final four or that none of the double-digit seeds lose by more than 15 points in either the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight? The answer is a buy because 11th-seeded UCLA knocked off the top seed in their region, Michigan. Greg and Ben, you two the only two to buy it. You're correct. Ugh. Did the other part happen, or was there a blowout? No, I think there was a blowout. I didn't look it up, but I'm fairly certain that there was a gotcha 15-pointer or more. Booyah! I know, that was close. That Thanks, one Michigan. came right down to the last game to see if yep. that was going to happen. Michigan had brick, a shot. Brick layers. Yep, lots of bricks. Lots of bricks. All right, Austin <laughs> asked this question uh, across Husker Sports, and we can also answer this one. Byers saw that the combined total of attendees at the first Nebraska games for fans allowed across baseball, softball, and volleyball would be 5,300 people or more. We all bought it, but the answer was a sell because volleyball didn't play, unfortunately, uh, tomorrow or Friday, or they're not going to play. I, I suppose they could have a makeup game or something, play another opponent, put something in there, and then we might have to reassess, but uh, we'd 
we don't have it. So baseball and softball did combine for about 2,000, but uh, we were thinking that volleyball would be in there. But we all got it wrong either way. More technicalities. Mm. Yep, a lot Man. of technicalities. The team's going down this week. Uh, <laughs> So we're only four answers in, still got a handful more to give. Hopefully we can pick it up. Yeah, we'll stay positive. Two straight where none of us got it right. I know. Two of the four. It's, yep. Ugh. All right. Well, maybe Tim provided a layup for us. Let's, Let's go, Tim. See. Another March Madness question. He asked, buy or sell that the Creighton-Gonzaga game is decided <laughs> by 10 points or more. The answer A, buy. The Zags rolled winning by 18. All of us present were correct. Tim Ooh. and Brett, Ooh. the Jaskers, they are <laughs> sold it. What are we doing, Brett? <laughs> I, I wish I could ask him what he's thinking. He's not here. We could maybe call him and see if we can get him on the line, but I guess we'll just have to try to get inside his mind and think. I don't know. I, maybe he was trying to be know. different because he maybe put in his answers. Outside of his mind. I don't know. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows what happened? Well, speaking of Brett, he asked a question here from the NHL. A good question here. By ourselves that Nashville would have a penalty called on them in the first period of their next game. I believe it was against the Red Wings. The answer was a bye because they had two penalties called against them. Whoa. And <laughs> I don't think that the refs said anything about that they were going to do it, but maybe they did. We don't know. Uh, it, what was funny, though, the Preds led 4-1 at the end of the f- first period, so those oh, two penalties didn't oh. hurt them at all. Uh, Brett, Austin, and Tim all bought it and got it right. The left's column, Greg, Ben, and myself got it. Man, I'm not having a good week at all after last week. Yeah, you were on fire last week, so. Yeah, only one direction to go, I guess. Yep, I suppose so. All right, circling back to Greg, who asked us a golf question. Buy or sell that a player seated in the top 10 wins WGC match play? The answer, a sell. Billy Horschel, the winner. Greg clapping, you got it right, as did Brett and Tim. So, Ben and Josh, you're with me buying it incorrect. Oh, see, I thought I was the only one that, that went with that. Well, oh, Brett and Tim I, I later company. on did, yeah. You, oh, the mail-in vote. They, they see, <laughs> you know what, they uh, they probably saw that you sold it, and so they were like, oh, Greg sold it, he knows golf, and then went with you. You know, the, the knockout phase, only one guy in the top ten made the knockout wow. phase, and that was John Rahm. So you had one guy of the last Man. 16 standing. Where did – you picked answer. How? Where did he, he – he lost in a playoff to get out get out of the pool play. All so right. he did okay. Yeah, we went like yeah. two and one, but he didn't get into the gotcha. final 16. All right. Well, we move on to a question that Ben asked from the NBA by ourselves that neither LA team would be in first or second place in the West by the next buy sell. This is the next buy sell right now. And the question or the answer is a buy. The Clippers are one and a half back. Lakers two and a half back of second place. Neither of them made it into the first two in the west all of us bought it and all of us got it right yay there team. you go <laughs> yeah there, there, ben, ben provides a, a layup there's a 3-1 <laughs> fastball in the inside quarter <laughs> let's go we did not miss it all right on to <laughs> march madness a josh question buy or sell that obob arkansas is the highest scoring game of the sweet nope. 16 or mm. that there are at least 170 points <laughs> scored in that game the answer a sell it was the highest scoring saturday game 72 to 70 is 140 points but three of the four sunday games actually topped it so with the answer being a sell five of us were correct one of us was incorrect do we care to guess who the incorrect player was i think i might have been it was you ben it was you ben you missed the 3-1 fastball unfortunately on the inside watched one. it that's okay that's fine happens to the best of us i'm, I'm not i'm not with tim so that's you know. true that's true that's true. I, I sense a tightening leaderboard. 
Well, we have one more answer before we get to that point, but we will we will get there. Austin wrapped up the questions last week with one from March Madness by ourselves that between three and five favorites would cover the spread in Friday and Saturday's Sweet 16 matchups. Actually, it was Saturday, Sunday, but the answer was a buy. There were f- five, so it was right on the edge there. Five mm. favorites did. Baylor, Houston, Gonzaga, Michigan, and Houston covered as favorites. The favorites that did not cover were Loyola, Arkansas, and Alabama. So... The people who got it right were Greg, Brett, Austin, and Tim. Ben and myself were incorrect with cells. Bummer. Yeah, sad. It, we, I think we we went out there, you know, thinking that, you know, trying to be a little bit different. But yeah, it was close. I, I purposely tried to be on the on the other end on that one. All Took we a shot. Mm-hmm. all we needed yeah. was mm-hmm. Alabama, Arkansas, or Loyola to cover the spread, and we would have gotten it right. Everybody yeah. else would have gotten it wrong. But. Either way, Ben, you did take a slip down the the leaderboard. You were three of ten this week, so you, you had a like I think a five point lead coming in. Um, that is down to a two point lead as Greg went seven of ten, made up four Woo! points, and is now two behind you. So thirty seven to thirty five is your lead. Uh, Tim is actually right on Greg's heels at thirty four. I'm at thirty three. Brett's at thirty two, and Austin twenty nine. Austin is starting to pick it up a little bit. He went six of ten this week, so he better he made some made some progress. Now let's get to some stats. The hardest question asker so far here in season two is Austin. He's people are getting a his questions right at a basically forty seven percent clip, so less than fifty percent. Now Ben is no longer the uh, easy question asker. Greg, (laughs) you actually are, but it's not that bad you're only at 58.3 percent so it's not like you're in the 60s or 70s um but the rest of us ben myself brett and tim are all um kind of in the middle there also i feel like we've traded uh, we've traded off each week actually i I take that back i needed to go down a little bit further tim is actually the easiest one he's at 62 percent I, yeah, so, Greg, you're you are you're not the easiest. You're the second easiest question. There you go. Now, Thank you, Timmy. <laughs> interesting stat here. Tim, going into this last week, was perfect on his own questions. He was 8 of 8 on his own questions this season. Then he finally got this last one wrong that he asked. So that was interesting. And then Austin continues to struggle on his own questions, <laughs> only at 36%. He's kind Austin. of in his own head. It's a, it's a trend. It is. Greg, you, for a while, were perfect on your own questions as well. You're at 80%, though, on your own questions. So there's some uh, some interesting stats there. And, Ben, you're, you're dominating my questions. You're at over 80% on mine, too. So That's why, that's why uh, I let you win face-off. Yes. <laughs> not exactly right. I'm just kidding. You, will have, you should have your trophy by not the next time we play because I can't get it to Lincoln that's tomorrow. Fine. But hopefully the next week you should be – Having the pressure of staring at a trophy while Love it. And answering Just questions. a little preview. Tomorrow night, it's Tim, Curran, and yours truly facing oh, off. baby. Ben and I have all day to cook the questions up. <sighs> yep. Love it. Can't wait. But before then, we need to get into some questions, and Greg, you get to lead us off. Yeah. Let's start with some Husker baseball. Buy or sell with the Husker score 20 or more runs or more this weekend against Illinois. Hmm. I'm going to... Sell it. Really? Interesting. I am buying it. Illinois has a really good Friday night guy. Their Saturday and Sunday guys have struggled, and that place is a flipping launching pad and has played that way 
I can't imagine sitting there calling games, rooting for no runs to be scored because I just don't think it's going to happen. So well, give me the give me the runs. I was going to say that the only way I could see this being a sell is maybe if a game got rained out or something like that got canceled, which I don't know, maybe that'll happen. But I think if all three games are played, you're going to see at least 20 runs scored on a bye. Here was part of my logic, and I'll give it – I shouldn't do it before Austin answers, but the wind was howling out of Iowa City. And Nebraska scored 22 that okay. week. So. I'm, I'm a little hey. worried the Huskers used up some of their, their runs. I'll save them for the next night. Got a really good weekend against Minnesota, just poured it on. I think 20 is a good line, but I think it ends up just short. So I will sell it. All right. Ben? Okay, I've got a Major League Baseball question for opening day. Yes. Buy or sell that the first home run of the Major League Baseball season comes from a left-handed hitter or a switch hitter. So basically anybody but a right-handed swinger. And I'm a lefty, so I'm going to buy it. All right. Um, I'll sell it. Go righties. This is one of those classic heads or tails, except you get kind of a coin lands on its side option here, too. Um, yeah, give me the lefties and the switch hitters. Sure. Bye. Aren't the Yankees one of the first games out I was going to say, what's the first game? Short porch, uh, right field. Right well, I think they, they are. It's a short porch for righties, too. Just ask Luke Voigt. Right. <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> Yankees, Blue Jays, the Indians, Tigers. Those are the first it, two games. Is it at Yankee Stadium? It is. Yeah. For you and Cole are pitching, right though. Field. Yeah, I'm still going. I'm still going. A uh, Aaron Judge dinger. I will. Uh, I'll buy it. Yeah, Greg and I on the same team with the righties. Let's go. All right, my uh, first question comes from the world of the NCAA. No, Josh, what's up? No, we we went. Greg's lefty. Right? Buy, buy. Oh, he's buying. Buy no. as a lefty you, you or sold switch hitter. I sold, sold it. I'm it, on my own. You're right. You're yeah, right. You're yeah, right. You're yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, final four here with my first question. Buyer saw that either of the final four games or the national championship game is decided by three points or fewer. And I am going to sell it. All blowouts. Uh, three points doesn't have to – four points isn't exactly a blowout, but threes just a little bit too tight a range. So uh, I guess I'll sell it. It's not going to happen, Gonzaga, UCLA. Come on. Houston Baylor could be tight, but that's that's a that's a narrow window. I've got to sell. Sell. All right. Will this be a layup or a big swing and a miss by all of us? We'll have to find out. Indeed, we will. All right. I'll ask a Major League Baseball question as well. Buy or sell that one team in each league that was under 500 last season leads their division at the start of play at the end of April. And I'm going to buy exactly one team in each league leading their division after being under 500 wow. last year. Each league. I know. That seems a little much. We have six divisions, though. I know, but three divisions, really. Mm. Also, keep in mind, I am only four of ten on my own question. I'm going to sell. (laughs) uh, I'm going to sell. I don't know that it happens in each league. I'll sell. I'm selling, too. Ben, are you pondering buying this? I'm thinking, Tim. (laughs) Um, It's only a month. Fun things happen in the first month. I think the Angels can do it. Okay. 
I'm trying to find somebody in the AL. The NL would be the Mets or the Nationals. You could also have and the, the Brewers Astros and the were Pirates. under 500. They were. You could. Yep. Giants, Rockies, but, Diamondbacks. No, no, I still need somebody in the NL, though. I know. Um, that, that's can I interest you in the Brewers or the Mets? <sighs> yes, you can. I'm buying. There All we right. go. Welcome aboard. Ben is on board. I don't think it's out of the question that the Royals are in first place at the end of April. Yeah. They the won't be in first place much further, further than that. But All right. <laughs> Let's go. By the way, Lane Grindle was all on board with the Royals last hour. They're going to be scrappy. All right. Uh, I have a question here from Tim. Tim submitted oh one from the Final Four. Buy or sell that Gonzaga wins the national championship. And so this is a parlay. So okay. I can already write down Greg as a sell. <laughs> Uh, they win the national championship, and Drew Timmy wins the most outstanding player of the tournament award. But th he adds this note, but not the most yeah. outstanding Timmy award, which Tim Curran hopes to retain. Who gave him that title? <laughs> if it's self-proclaimed, it doesn't count. I agree. So we'll have to ask I'm him about that not sure how that, that affects the question in any way. but It doesn't. <laughs> he added, though, so I figured I'd read it as it came in. He didn't submit an answer, though, so I guess I'll go first, and I'm going to sell even if Gonzaga wins it all which I think they have a good chance to Drew Timmy will not be the most outstanding player of the tournament god he's been really good though I know but I can't give Tim the satisfaction of that <laughs> but as bad as Corey Kispert has been he hasn't been up to his normal standards I think he's due for a couple big games so I will sell the MOP as well Zags oh. win it all Corey Kispert takes home the hardware god, I am bucking trends here I'm gonna buy it all right. Ooh, I never buy an and question, but I am this one. Wow. I'm gonna buy it too because I, I I've long said the last week solid that Gonzaga is the best team in the tournament, so I I gotta stick with that. And I think Timmy's been the best player on that team, so I'm, I gotta buy it. Does he get the most outstanding Timmy award though? Of course. He Good. dethrones Tim with that, too. So. He's got that one locked up already, probably. I don't, I don't think he's won that award anyway. <laughs> All right, from college basketball to professional basketball, Brett's question, buy or sell that both the Charlotte Hornets and the New York Knicks qualify for the NBA playoffs without the play-in tournament? No answer provided by Brett, but I is, will there is a, buy it. There's a play-in tournament? There is. So the format of the play-in tournament weird. is that the 7 and 8 seed will play a one-game playoff to determine who gets the 7 seed. Then the 9 and 10 seeds in each conference will play f for the right to face the loser of that 7-8 game. And the winner of that third game then gets the 8 seed. And which two teams are we talking about here? The Knicks? The Knicks and the, and the Hornets, who currently sit at fourth and fifth in the Eastern Conference. But it's razor tight, right? Yep, they have 24 wins, and there's a number of teams at 23 and 21 wins. God, what a, how did he come up with this question? Well, Brett didn't come up with this question. He did not submit one, so Josh and I credited him with this question. Just a peek behind the curtain. But I, I am buying it to get uh, a start. Yeah, I'm actually going to buy it, too. I think that both of those teams are playing well. The teams behind them, sure, they could overtake them, but I'm going to say I they don't. See, I, I can see Boston jumping up and grabbing one of those Boston's spots, already in there. Yeah, they're already ahead of them. They are? I believe so. Yeah. Boston's a seven seed. But the Knicks and yeah, the Hornets, guys the the Knicks and the Hornets and just can't fall to 7th or 8th or ninth. Yeah. Or 7th see, or 8th, I, I got yeah, I could see the Celtics jumping both of those teams okay. coming down the stretch. 
and Miami. Uh, I'm going to sell it. All right. I am selling it too. LaMelo Ball is gonna, being out is going to kill this team. Malik Monk's banged up for Charlotte. P.J. Washington's been really erratic. I think the Knicks make it. I think I like the Knicks team a lot, even though I don't know that Coach Kit Thibodeau knows how to manage a rotation <laughs> at all. Uh, but if he does have a bad rep as a head coach, it's that he plays his starters way too many minutes for meaningless wins at the end of the year. I think that helps us in this case. Right. But I don't trust Charlotte at all. I think they're too banged up and LaMelo breaking the wrist. He's, he's their best player, so I, I got to sell it. Okay. All right, back to you, Greg. Okay, Husker softball, buy or sell that the Huskers hold Rutgers to 12 runs or fewer this weekend. It is a four-game series, and I'm going to buy it. Is Rutgers that bad? They are 3-13 and 13 right now. Okay. I will, let's see, 12 runs. Sure, I'll buy it. Do we know anything about Rutgers ballpark? It is on the road against Rutgers, right? Yeah, they're back I there. know that I it's nest, next to Bainton Field. Okay. And the rack. Love it. Uh, I'll sell it to be different. They'll give up 13 runs. How about that? But okay. still win all four games. Uh, yeah, Should've I like the line. all four last weekend. Yes. I, I, I like the line. Um, yeah, it's a great line. GBR, I'll buy it. Keep them right. under 12. Love it. Ben? All right, we are going to volleyball. Buy or sell that five, at least five, Big Ten volleyball teams make the Sweet 16 in the NCAA tournament. Can they right the wrong of men's basketball for the conference? Mm. And yes, they can. I'm buying. Can they? Hmm. Well, here's the thing is that there's going to be probably a lot of those teams that will be just in the get a bye through the first round. There's only 48 teams, so they'll get so into the 32. One, it's just one, one match, win. Yeah. Right? Um, I, I so re- here, let me let me give ahead. you some info on this. Right. So there's only going to be six Big Ten teams in because there's a steep drop off after six. So that means all but one, only one team can get beat. Yeah, and then you factor in COVID. Correct. Somebody have to yes. cancel or. Yeah. Forfeit because they can't. I really want to sell this, but I think I'm going to buy it. I don't. I don't know. I'll I'll buy it. Yeah, I'll buy it too. I don't think Purdue makes it through, but I think the other five: Wisconsin, Nebraska, Minnesota, Ohio State, and Penn State do. Okay, Greg. Yeah, yeah. Buy it. All right. All right. Uh, my second question comes from Major League Baseball. Buy or sell that the first team to 10 wins comes from the American League. And I will buy it. Coin flip. Yeah, or I'll take the it? other side of that coin. I'll, I'll take the NL to be different. I'll sell. All right. <sighs> I think your, your power ratings right now would have the Dodgers as the best team in baseball. Correct. But are they the first to 10 wins? I'll, I'll, uh, I'll sell. All right. By the way, I'm going to say the Yankees are the first to, first to 10. I'm going to take the NL. Okay, so We're you're calling selling. our shot. I'll take the Braves. Bravo's got it. Very nice. Do Greg and Austin want to make a pick on the team, a national yeah, team? Yeah, I'll, I'll go Dodgers. Okay. Sure, sign me up for 
the Dodgies too. All right. As well. All right. Sounds good. All yep. right, guys. Let's cap us off with an NFL draft question. Buy or sell that the first five quarterbacks drafted are Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, and Mac Jones, and that they are drafted in that order. <laughs> and I'm going to buy it. Wow. That's like a par- like five-team oh. parlay. Yeah, that's too much. That, I mean, I think they all go, but not maybe not necessarily in that order. I, I sell. Yeah, that's a little too hard to predict for me, too. I'm selling it. Maybe it'll happen, but... I love the question, Austin, and I know where you're going for with it, and I honestly think it might be enough. Justin Fields might be, you know, what jumping Trey Lance, because everybody had Lance yeah. as the next quarterback, but I think what Justin Fields did at his pro day changed some people's minds. I, I completely understand the question, but I do think there is so much unpredictability with NFL GMs and the draft that it, that's just too it's too perfect of a scenario for me something <laughs> yeah. crazy is going to happen so I got to sell it understandable right. there you go okay love it 